0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Electrify This, a podcast focused on the movement to electrify everything as a viable path to decarbonize and revitalize all sectors of our economy. Each month, I connect with experts to explore the policy and market issues underpinning the shift to electrify transportation, buildings, and industry. I'm your host, Sarah Baldwin, Electrification Policy Director with Energy Innovation. Today's episode Industrial Electrification, unlocking deep decarbonization with the power of the grid. From the steel and concrete in our buildings to the paper, plastic, and aluminum products we use daily, nearly every material and product in our economy has a large industry behind it. Even the food we eat and the beers and sodas we drink are the result of industrial processes. And nearly every one of those processes and the facilities where they operate burn fossil fuels and use a lot of energy. In the U.S., the industrial sector was responsible for over a third of our greenhouse gas emissions in 2019. And that trend will continue to grow as the economy recovers. Now, in the energy and climate policy world, most of the focus over the past decade has been on pathways to reduce emissions from the electricity grid, our buildings, and the transportation sector. The industrial sector, on the other hand, has arguably remained out of the limelight until now. There is a mounting imperative to decarbonize the industrial sector if we want to get to a net zero carbon future. And thankfully, more attention is being paid to the opportunities to shift certain industries away from fossil fuels and towards cost-effective clean electricity. With me today to help us understand these trends, challenges, and opportunities for industrial electrification and decarbonization are two renowned experts— First, calling in all the way from Taiwan today, we have Dr. Ali Hassanbegi, who's the founder, CEO, and research director at Global Efficiency Intelligence, or GEI, an energy and climate change mitigation consulting firm based in Florida. Prior to founding GEI, he worked for over seven years as a scientist at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, and he's the lead author of a forthcoming report titled Electrification of U.S. Manufacturing. So welcome to the show, Ali.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Glad to have you. And next, we have Dr. Edward Reiter, who's the director of the industrial program with the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy, or ACEEE. And in this role, Dr. Reiter develops and leads the strategic vision for the industrial sector, shapes the research and policy agenda, and convenes stakeholders. He's also held several leadership roles at Dow Chemical during his 31-year career, and among many other accomplishments, has spearheaded a roadmap for the chemical industry on paths to reduce energy and greenhouse gas emissions. He's the author of numerous reports, including the most recent ACEEE report, Beneficial Electrification in Industry. Ed, welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you very much. I look forward to the conversation, Sarah.
0: Great. Well, I am eager to dive in, so let's get started. I will start with you, Ed, and I'll have you set the stage for us a little bit. What are we talking about when we refer to industrial electrification? And why should we care about and focus on industry in the U.S. as a near-term priority for decarbonization?
2: Uh, well, Sarah, as you mentioned, the industry accounts for a large amount of energy and a large amount of greenhouse gases, uh, more than 30%, as you had mentioned. Um, currently, the vast amount of the energy that's used industrial sector is from the burning of fossil fuels. And currently, electrification, uh, electric sources only count for about 1 to 5 percent of that energy use, depending on the sector. So electrification here means that uh, those industrial sectors could tap into the grid as the grid becomes greener. And that would allow those uh, sectors to participate in what we called beneficial electrification. In other words, the electrification uh, is inherently decreasing the greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, It's one of the top routes to switch the fuels being used from those fossil fuels to that grid that's becoming increasingly green. Um, And this can be done without changing the process technology, the pots and pans, uh, if you will, that are being used within the chemical industry. All you need to do in this case is to change the energy source. Um, And there's other benefits that it provides as as well. It's proven technology. It's scalable. It's a great place to start.
0: Well, I'm bought in, certainly. And uh, that's a really helpful and simple uh, background and overview on on the why of industrial electrification. Now, you've both done a lot of research to identify the opportunities for electrification in industry, and we're going to explore some of your findings today. Uh, Ali, I'll start with you. Which industries are most ripe for electrification, and what are the most ripe opportunities for electrification in industry? Uh,
1: That's a difficult question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, I would say, um, so every industry has Certain processes that are relatively speaking easier to electrify and that are more ripe for electrification. Uh, about two thirds of the process heat used in the U.S. industry is uh, using temperature below 300 degrees C uh, or 570 uh, Fahrenheit, uh, and Relatively speaking, when you have medium or low temperature, uh, it's uh, easier to electrify using some already commercial technologies, for example, heat pump. An example is, for example, food and beverage industry, which is a very large industry in the U.S., and majority of heat demand in that industry actually is low temperature, even below 100 degrees C. So those are the opportunities probably we have and we should kind of Uh, target first, uh, I would call it kind of low-hanging fruit, before we go to a more challenging sectors. for example, cement industry. There are some exceptions. For example, we have a steel industry, which is, you know, high temperature, but we already have a very mature electrification technology, which is, you know, electric arc furnaces. So we have those exceptions as well. And we just need to try to use more of uh, those electrified technologies in those sectors.
0: Great. So identifying those industries that have the lower to medium heat um, and targeting those as low-hanging fruit. Ed, what would you add?
2: Well, I would add to Ali's uh, good comments that uh, in addition to food and beverage, there's also some relatively low-temperature opportunities in chemicals, uh, Mm -hmm. refining, and also in forest products. Uh, Those areas um, have significant amounts of that low-temperature process heat, And that's a great place to start. They also have some other applications of interest, such as drying of materials, both in chemicals as well as in um, pulp and paper and and food. And and that's another opportunity space for electrification. The use of infrared heat and microwave, that's also application areas that have other purposes,
0: Great. And even as you say these things, I'm thinking there are so many paper products out there, especially you know with all the cardboard being used to deliver packages now and during COVID times, um, even though we've switched largely over to computers, we still have a ton of paper products circulating in the economy. So um, great to hear. There are so many ripe opportunities. Um, Ali, I know you've got a report coming out and that will be coming out later this week. And I'm wondering if you can give us a little bit of a teaser around some of the findings that you had and what they mean for U.S. manufacturing and the push to decarbonize that large sector?
1: Sure, I would be happy to. Uh, Yes, uh, this is the report we are excited that we are going to release this week. Uh, We identified uh, a kind of a knowledge and information gap when it comes to electrification of industry, Uh, while it's so important as we Uh, talked about earlier, Uh, there is uh, not as much information that, you know, you would like to uh, out there on electrification of industry. So we at Global Efficiency Intelligence teamed up with uh, colleagues at Renewable Thermal Collaborative and David Cardin and Associates, uh, and we got support from Energy Foundation to do this study where we actually dived in and we did uh, not only at the general industry level, but we looked into 13 different industrial subsectors in the U.S. separately. And we went even uh, more deep uh, deeper and we went uh, and did the analysis at the systems level and technology level to find out what is the electrification potential in these 13 industrial subsectors in the U.S., so basically, we did this bottom-up analysis to come up with the potential. Um, so we did have some interesting finding. Uh, we, uh, realized that, the, uh, for all 13 sectors, actually, electrification resulted in immediate energy saving in final energy term. So that was quite interesting. Uh, and also in terms of, uh, energy And that energy saving results in significant CO2 emissions reduction. However, initially in 2019, which was our base year, uh, the CO2 uh, emission in some cases increased because we use the grid emission factor and grid is not decarbonized enough. But as we assume, you know, moving forward, the grid decarbonizes, we start getting significant reduction in CO2 emissions uh, from different industrial sectors. And overall, for these 13 sectors, uh, the combined CO2 emission reduction potential was over 130 million ton per year in 2050. So when you kind of do the cumulative calculation over, you know, two decades, three decades, the scale of CO2 reduction is in the gigaton scale. So, and, and lastly, uh, the energy, we did a... Cost analysis for energy price per unit of production for electrified system versus conventional system for all these thirteen industries, and in all cases, uh, the electrified system had higher energy price. The main reason is currently um, uh, fossil fuel, uh, primarily natural gas, used uh, in US are, are cheap. And electricity, relatively expensive. So as we move forward uh, in the next 10, 20 years, cost of renewable comes down. And we may have some sort of carbon price uh, uh, scheme on um, fossil fuel. This might change. So depending on how the unit price of energy changes, the the cost calculation of our analysis also can be significantly uh, changed.
0: That's great. And yeah, I had the chance to preview the report and it's very impressive, very extensive. We'll be sure to post a link to the report um, in the podcast description as well as on the Energy Innovation website. Now, Ed, I know you've also done quite a bit of research in this space um, and have the report I mentioned earlier how does the findings that Ali looked at uh, correlate with some of the findings that you guys at ACEEE have found in terms of either cost savings or CO2 benefits in terms of the electrification push?
2: Uh, Well, there's there's good crossover between the two reports. I think some of the uh, challenges that Ali mentioned are also challenges that we saw uh, in this report that to greatly accelerate the amount of electrification that's used in the industry, a number of barriers uh, need to be uh, addressed. Some of those relate to knowledge and understanding of which electric technology is going to be most um, applicable in a certain case. Also, uh, there need to be incentives in this area to encourage adoption and there needs to be support uh, for the technologies as they're put into place energy service companies could help to provide that support in what we call a, a middle layer, um, but that's pretty much not existent in the marketplace today. And I think there also needs to be a reduction in perceived risk uh, for some of these technologies to be to be implemented. Uh, lastly I'll say that it's really important for implementation that people look at the co benefits or what we called in our report, non-energy benefits uh, of electrification. Because those benefits are things that can really increase the value of uh, electrification to the end user. And that helps with the economics.
0: Do you have an example of one of those co-benefits?
2: Yes. Um, One of the examples that we cite in the report is an increased rate of production. So electric technologies allow you to come up faster um, when you provide process seed or you uh, put some other kind of um, uh, impetus uh, into the chemical reaction. Uh, they're also more controllable. So not only can you come up faster, but you can shut things down uh, quicker as well. And so that can help with the yield as well as the rate of production, uh, which is really important in the, uh, in the industry.
0: Are there also workplace safety benefits, potentially, since you're not uh, using such volatile fuels on site?
2: Um, There can be. Not only uh, for the fuel base, as you mentioned, but also because of the controllability aspects, again, uh, that uh, provides the ability to control reactions, to reach a certain set point uh, much faster, uh, and where needed, to shut down quicker.
1: Yeah, can I add to that? Uh, I I saw you're kind of moving to policy. On the barriers, just to let you know, uh, we also actually did a survey of a good number of uh, experts, especially people in industry, like manufacturing plants in the US, on the barriers and some uh, kind of drivers that they would like to see for electrification. And uh, we kind of, uh, look at the barriers from the technical side, economic barrier, institutional barriers, policy barriers, uh, and we got some interesting uh, feedback that we analyzed and presented in our report as well, uh, and with some solutions, kind of action plan and solutions. I don't get into detail of that. Basically, they're they're in line with what it mentioned. Uh, perhaps we go a little further. Just wanted to mention we also discussed that in our report.
0: Great. That's very helpful to have that uh, additional context. Um, and so, you know, really always we're looking, or I'm always looking at the lens of how do we overcome the challenges, what's really needed, and and who are the players that can make these changes possible. Um, I would invite either of you to elaborate more on how we move from where we are today, knowing there is potential in a lot of industries and there's, uh, there are benefits to be had. How do we get from where we are today to, a more widespread uptake among more industries and more businesses. Maybe I'll start with you, Ed.
2: Okay. Well, Sarah, I think the way to address some of the biggest challenges in industrial electrification uh, is first to address the economics issue. Uh, And that's where an understanding of the non-energy benefits or the co-benefits can really help. Uh, That the folks in industry look to justify the adoption of electric technology, not just on the energy benefits or on the greenhouse gas benefits, but on the things that will help the process and help to deliver uh, the end result of that process to the customer. Um, Secondly, I'll note that although electric uh, cost uh, can be a barrier because electricity on a a thermal basis uh, is a little bit more expensive than natural gas, but that varies by region, and there are certain parts of the, the country where that ratio is, is more favored uh, than other regions. The northeast, uh, for example, uh, is not so good on the cost of electricity. It's pretty expensive up there. But if you go down to um, the south, uh, you're a little bit more advantaged. Uh, second, I'll note that the, um, the comparative basis is important, and the fact that you have to think about it, electrification oftentimes is, is integrated uh, with the process. So just an example there, uh, if you bought a heat pump for your home, you would choose amongst a couple of vendors, you'd work with a contractor, and they would put it in in the space of a day, and, you, and you're done. In industry, it's very different. Because of the scale and the complexity of the needs, Uh, there's only a few providers of industrial heat pumps. And you would work with uh, a service company, you would do an engineering study to understand how to integrate that heat pump with all the needs of several different systems uh, in industry. So the complexity of matching the needs with the capabilities of the the product, an industrial heat pump, for example, it's something where there's a far greater need of understanding, uh, and that ability to develop that capability uh, is something that's really needed in this space to overcome some of the hurdles.
0: That's quite helpful, Ali. What would you add to that? What what's really needed to accelerate the deployment of these technologies in industry beyond what Ed's mentioned?
1: Uh, so I agree with basically everything Ed uh, said. I would add to that, uh, uh, so I think industry uh, should work closer with uh, some academia and research think tank to conduct R&D uh, to basically both lower the cost of existing electrification technologies and develop the ones that we need and not quite there yet. So um, that's one of the barriers we have. And I think R&D has a big role to play. And that R&D can be supported uh, by government and utilities. Uh, so uh, that's one action that can be taken to uh, to kind of target. Another uh, kind of uh, options we have to uh, for uh, addressing the cost issue is uh, in the future, it seems like, if not in the U.S., in some other places, we are going to have some sort of price on carbon. And that can uh, certainly help with these electrification technologies. So in the U.S., hopefully, if we have some sort of carbon price, uh, that could uh, change the whole dynamic in, in terms of cost analysis. And finally, uh, one thing to mention on the cost is, even though the manufacturing cost of electrification might be higher, for uh, some of these materials, but as they are used to produce the final product that goes to consumer, that increased cost really is minimal. So basically what I'm trying to say, the increased cost of material that's produced by this electrified technology for the consumer will be almost negligible. So that's something to keep in mind if we are looking at you know uh, the consumer side of things and uh, uh, if this electrification can have, uh, can have an impact there. I think another thing that uh, also, perhaps, on the government and utilities, is uh, to to provide more incentive, either financial or non-monetary incentive, to have more uh, pilots and demonstration of some of these electrification technologies. As Ed said, uh, for heat pump and others, uh, when it comes to industry, things are just more complex and complicated. So you need to have more demonstration as we have more demonstration when the other peers in industry they see actually these things work and the problems are resolved but there's no problem they feel more comfortable to go adopt those technology unfortunately that's one of the barriers even for current existing commercialized electrification technology and that's why they are not being adopted as much as we would like to
2: just a follow-on on Ali's comment there one of the things that's really important and the space era, is the, the customer, the end consumer, uh, having a preference for products that have a, a low c- embodied carbon content. Mm-hmm. And as manufacturers uh, look to decrease their carbon em- emissions, uh, in the end, it's going to be important to answer the question, does the customer, does the end consumer really care? And if the end consumer... Uh, puts a preference in for products that have a low carbon content. That certainly will be an incentive for an industry to adopt uh, electric technologies, even if they are a bit more expensive.
1: Very good point, Ed. And I want to add a little bit to, uh, more to that. And that end consumer actually can be government or corporations, and that's how we this whole thing can get linked to uh, buy clean or green public procurement policies and programs. And actually, we have done some work and have published some reports on that. And I think it's gaining some more momentum in the U.S. The whole buy clean. So, if U.S. government wants to buy, <clears throat> excuse me, let's say you know a steel uh, and set certain criteria for carbon footprint. Uh, steel that is produced by electric is certainly is going to be more favored compared to steel produced or imported from, you know, primary steel production. So that's another angle of looking at this when it comes to cost.
0: Absolutely. And that uh, is a good segue into one of my questions. And of course um, we've got a new administration coming in and a new Congress. And while they'll be tasked with a lot of Uh, urgent priorities in the first 100 days, there certainly could be a great opportunity for them to prioritize and focus on industry. And I'm curious if either of you have either recommendations or thoughts about what they should be thinking about or looking at in terms of policy.
2: I I think just just to start in that space, there's, there's several things that policymakers can do. One is uh, incentives for adoption. Uh, That is, uh, as we talked about, the cost barrier uh, now Mm -hmm. is uh, is large in some cases, and incentives there would would really help. I think second, as we just talked about, was what we'll call demand response, and that is making sure that customers uh, can understand what the carbon content of products is. For that to happen, uh, there needs to be Um, capability development so that you can answer the question, well, what's clean? What has low carbon? And there's a need for development of methodologies and quantification uh, and transparency uh, in that space. I think another thing that policymakers can do is to provide incentives for energy efficiency. Why? Because energy efficiency can be done quickly. Um, It helps to lower the demand for electricity, and in doing so, uh, what it does is decrease the size and the cost of the capital for the equipment to come in. That allows equipment to come in at a lower um, step, if you will, increase in cost, and that will help to encourage the technology adoption.
0: Great. Excellent recommendations. Ali, do you have anything you would add? You mentioned government procurement practices can be a big driver. Anything else? Uh,
1: Yes. Basically, to add to the items Ed mentioned, uh, I also think government should certainly support very strongly research development and demonstration and deployment uh, for electrification technology Unfortunately, in, US, in the U.S., uh, we have amazing power of national labs as well as our universities that they can work, you know, closely with industry to develop some of these technologies and uh, or you know further advance the current available technologies. So there is a need for that. I think uh, also uh, government should start providing some sort of financial incentive, whether it's in the form of tax credit or any other thing that may work for them to help the those pilot and demonstration projects, I would say, in the beginning, and as it gets picked up, perhaps they can roll back those financial incentives. But in the beginning that can help significantly. And another thing uh, I would say uh, there is as I mentioned very early on, uh, I personally think there is information gap and lack of information on industrial electrification. Like the amount of information, for example, we have on energy efficiency in industry is way more than electrification. We need to bring up the electrification to that level. Like industry is very complex. All the subsectors are very different from each other. So we really need subsector level, system level information on these. Uh, so kind of creating some sort of platform on industrial electrification to create knowledge and information and disseminate it through that platform, I think can be helpful Uh, for example, finding the case studies and uh, disseminating it in in certain format, I think that can help many people in the industry to gain uh, knowledge and confidence on electrification technologies. Because one thing I want to add, I mentioned uh, to add early on, when we talk about electrification of industry, a lot of people immediately think about electrification of boiler. But actually, it's not necessarily the best way to go. In many cases, electrifying the end-use process is more effective, more efficient, and in our analysis for the 13 subsectors, actually, we mostly looked at electrification of end-use processes, like where the heat is needed. In most cases in industry, steam is not needed. It's just a carrier of heat. So when you go actually electrify the end-use uh, process, is uh, more useful. But there are many end users, so uh, creating some sort of information platform and disseminating cases study with electrification of all those, uh, I think will be very helpful.
2: Yeah, I would just uh, chime in and with Ali. I think it's really important to um, push the RD&D in this space uh, to help the industry understand which applications are most suitable relative to electric technologies. Um, and to highlight case studies of where electric technologies have been uh, adopted, where they've gotten a niche and they've, they've been able to run with it, uh, if you will. I'll also comment that if you look back to the case of wind and solar, which came in really expensive to begin with, um, government helped to defray a portion of those expenses for a certain period of time that allowed greater adoption of those technologies and increased scale. And that allowed the cost of those technologies to come down. I think that's important, not only for the electric technologies that we have today, but for the electric technologies of the future where electricity could be used to um, directly provide heat to processes, to run the processes through electrochemistry, Mm -hmm. uh, for example, and that's uh, something that our D&D is really needed for.
0: Yeah. I, all the things you're describing, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, this sounds very familiar to a lot of the recommendations that were adopted, or programs, rather, that were adopted years ago for solar and wind and and, and energy efficiency and combined heat and power. And so in in a lot of ways, we have the model to work from. We we know that it's worked, and we can apply that in the industrial sector. Um and arguably, the Department of Energy uh, will play a big role. But are there other federal departments that will that could potentially play a big role in helping with either the R&D RD&D components or the education components with industry?
2: Um, yes, there, there's other agencies. For example, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory uh, and NIST, uh, the National um, Standards and Technology Institute, uh, is as well. Uh, and then the national laboratories that uh, Ali mentioned, of which uh, we have a great wealth of expertise and ability to apply knowledge uh, in this space, those are also important, I would say.
1: Yes, to add to that list, uh, I would say uh, uh, National Science Foundation, you know, that supports universities for R&D, That that that's one agency. Uh, When it comes to procurement, uh, Ed is more familiar with all those legislative process, but I think that's something that both executive branch and legislative branch will be important uh, to set some sort of buy clean procurement that also could influence the electrification and help uh, drive the electrification process. And I think the procurement is under GSA, if I'm not mistaken, so I think quite a few branches of government could help here uh, to set this stage and kind of support uh, the, the adoption of electrification technology from different angles. Uh,
2: just a couple other key players to mention, Sarah, in addition to our national labs, as we've talked about, and the government agencies, such as DOE, on the RD&D end, I'll notice that there's also utilities are important um, we talked about the policymakers a bit, but also there's the technology developers, implementers, and service companies uh, that are important in this space as well to provide the support uh, for these technologies as they are put in place in industry.
0: Utilities should definitely play a, a big role in helping industrial customers move in this direction, particularly for the benefits that uh, it can bring not just to those individual customers, but to all ratepayers uh, down the line.
2: Sarah, sure, I was just going to build on that. One of the things that utilities can do is design rate structures that allow industry to take advantage of electricity when it's even more available. Um, there's uh, 13 states, for example, that have renewable energy targets to reach hundred percent renewable by 20 uh, XX. Um experience in California has shown that sometimes there's more electricity than residential or commercial customers can use. But industry could step in and take advantage of that variable or intermittent energy. And that's something that utilities can incentivize uh, with appropriate rate structures.
0: Absolutely. So, to that end, regulators also will have an important role to play in this and paying attention to this movement so they are able to respond accordingly when those rape cases come before them.
1: I wanted to add to that with regards to electricity, uh, electric utility, uh, one thing to, I think, mention here is a demand response potential so as you electrify industry so you're going to have this gigantic basically battery which is industry with huge potential for demand response which always is one of the areas with utilities are very interested so that's something i think uh, utilities as well as probably uh, researchers should uh, study as we have this electrification in industry what's the implication for demand response or the beneficial implication i would say the other thing is, uh, again, as we electrify industry as well as transportation and building sector, so the grid infrastructure is going to be, you know, uh, under stress. So uh, if it's not uh, prepared properly, so that's another area that utilities definitely need to pay attention and kind of prepare for. And not only for industry, I guess, for other uh, sectors as well. Uh, the electrification uh, will have implications on the grid infrastructure as well.
0: Very much so, and I think that applies broadly across uh, all sectors as electrification becomes the trend and the norm. Um, so we're honing in on the end of our time. I you know there's so much we could talk about and and you guys have done a great job of um, helping to really set a good landscape for a better understanding of these complex issues. I'm curious if you can give any advice, or if you have any advice, rather, or information that you'd impart to a business leader or an industry leader who's listening to this and wants to explore this further and move forward on electrification for their processes or for their products?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question to spark engagement with the business leaders. There's several things. I'll mention uh, four or five, and, and Ali can come in with others. Uh, One is that they can ask their industrial customers about their needs, challenges, and best opportunities, and how those might connect with uh, electric technologies in the trial of those electric technologies. Second, I'll mention that business leaders can encourage those trials of electric technologies and uh, help the industrial customers find a path to pursue those, those trials. Third, I'll mention that they can recognize and encourage lead users in this space, the people that are out on point, looking at ways to deploy electric technologies. Fourth, I'll mention that they can help understand infrastructure requirements. So for industry, it's not as simple as just taking the electrical cord and plugging it into the socket. Uh, There's uh, substations that need to be put into place potentially more capacity for high-voltage lines and something called bus bars uh, that are important. So it's important to understand what those infrastructure needs are of industry. And last, I think that business leaders can help to advance these projects, in particular, at industrial clusters. And what I mean by clusters is areas where industry is concentrated. There's a number of reasons for industrial companies to collaborate and partner, in that space. And business leaders can help look at those natural uh, centers of, of action and to ask the question, well, where can electrification help those businesses deliver on their products
0: for the customer needs? That's a great list. Ali, would you add anything to that?
1: Yeah, I think it covers uh, almost everything. But mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, business leader. Uh, uh, Need to see the trend. As you can see, companies as well as actually the whole countries are now setting net zero carbon emission target. 2050 China for now is 2060, but I, I believe they might bring it back to 2050. So that's the trend, like decarbonizing, going actually to net zero. And I think electrification, uh, I would say, arguably is one of the easier ways. Once you electrify, and then the grid hopefully electrifies, then it's pretty straightforward, uh, especially if you have a kind of a process that electrification technology or electrified technology is already available or available in foreseeable future. So I think that's important to have that vision and, uh, and see what's coming and see electrification as uh, one of the very good options that they have, business uh, leaders. Especially if they are thinking about installing new technologies or new processes. They have to be careful because there is this lock-in, you know, effect. Like a lot of industrial processes, technologies, you know, they last for decades. So if they're installing something today or tomorrow and it's going to last for 20, 30 years, uh, then they will have problems down the road if electrification uh, is more viable and they have to switch. uh, So I would say they they need to see the trend and see the potential for electrification and, and especially for new installation as well as the processes that are towards the end of their timeline. Look at the alternative uh, that is electrification if available and if not available, uh, try to work with uh, research think tank as well as uh, probably public institutes to uh, kind of drive that R&D that is needed to get the electrification to the place it should be for their industry.
2: So, Sarah, two other things to add to the excellent comments there from Ali that business leaders can do to um, push electrification is, one, uh, realize that companies are being pushed by a number of external stakeholders to set aggressive greenhouse gas reduction goals, including science-based reduction targets that are in line with the the Paris Accords. One of the things then that they can do is they can integrate beneficial electrification into the corporate greenhouse gas reduction goals. And second, uh, what they can do is look for ways that electrification can connect with low carbon sources of energy. A number of corporations at this point use power purchase agreements to help them reach their sustainability goals That's that's excellent. They're they're supporting um, wind and solar and other renewable technologies. But it would be even more impactful if they use that electricity from wind and solar power purchase agreements and others directly to power their processes, to use that beneficial electricity for process heat generation, um, and to engage it directly into their processes
0: Absolutely. And all really great recommendations and insights. Uh, I think I would just acknowledge that, yes, the trend is definitely widespread. And ultimately, this will become a a matter of competitiveness for businesses and industry. So, um, you know, you heard it here first, net net carbon future is the new black. So we got to get on board and be cool. <laughs> um, but, there you go. Yeah, I mean that sim- seems like a simple choice to me. <laughs> um, but uh, no, there's there's definitely there. Are, you know, the assumption is often that if it costs more or if it's harder, then it's going to be bad for business. Uh, in this case, I think there are there are clear examples and a lot of research pointing in the opposite direction that this is going to uh, stimulate economic development, stimulate jobs, create uh, a cleaner and more competitive industry, and uh, ultimately help us have a more livable future. So lots of good stuff, and and yet lots of work to do. So got to keep our um, nose to the grindstone, as they say. Um, Well, we're rounding out our time here. Any final thoughts either of you want to share before we wrap up?
2: Uh, I would just build on your comment, Sarah, about the... Uh, The other benefits of electrification, I think, as industry uh, gets into this space of working with electric technologies, they'll find additional benefits that they hadn't anticipated to begin with, but they won't recognize those until they open up the box uh, and begin working with and experimenting with uh, electric technologies. I'll note that it's also uh, important to recognize cross-cutting opportunities in this space, so as industry looks to push electrification, they'll see benefits for other components, such as the generation and the use of hydrogen and other low-carbon fuels, um, and potentially the capture of CO2 from hard-to-abate sources.
1: I will add to that, basically, they started alluding to it, uh, What? While electrification is an important option uh, we have, I mean, I think the bottom line is we want to get to net zero and we should get to net zero, hopefully sooner than later. And we have different options. We have the energy efficiency, we have the fuel switching, we have the CCS, but electrification definitely is there right on the top as one of the important decarbonization options we have. And I think for many industries, as I said earlier, it's fairly low-hanging fruit, and uh, it's it's not a silver bullet for maybe all industries immediately. In some cases, we have to develop the technology, but for many industries, uh, the technology is there. It's just adoption and the support needed, uh, whether financial or non-financial support, to just uh, get it to the finish line and make sure it's adopted widely. Uh, as per other areas that uh, maybe electri- direct electrification is uh, a bit more challenging, we can look into indirect electrification. By that, I mean use of hydrogen, renewable hydrogen. So instead of just using electricity at the end use for the heat, we can you know, produce hydrogen from renewable electricity and then use that hydrogen as a fuel for process heat. So uh, I call it indirect you know, electrification. People may call it differently. So combination of direct and indirect electrification uh, with use of hydrogen, I think really can get us far uh, in decarbonizing the industry sector as long as the electricity comes from uh, low uh, or zero carbon.
0: Yeah, I'm re- I'm really glad you mentioned hydrogen. We didn't uh, build in enough time today to really dig into that, but uh, it is an, uh, an important um, alternative, especially for those industries and or processes that are uh, not Maybe well equipped for some of the available electrification technologies today. Um, well, yeah,
2: we've got to give you a topic for the next podcast. <laughs>
0: At this rate, I think I could do a podcast a day and still have plenty of of topics to cover. There's so much to unpack with all of these fascinating topics. Um, Well, this has been really great, Ed and Ali. I really thank you both so much for your time. Before we uh, wrap up, I like to ask all the guests of Electrify This uh, a more personal question, which is, what steps are you personally taking to electrify your life? And Ed, I'll start with you.
2: Uh, we've just bought a relatively old home uh, that doesn't have very good insulation. So one of the things we've been doing is improving the insulation and improving the energy efficiency of the house, decreasing our, our energy load. Um, but as we look to the future, eventually that may get to the point of changing out the, the hot water heater, which is now natural gas, uh, changing out the furnace system, which is now natural gas, and we'll face the same kind of decision points at a much smaller scale that industry faces, and that is uh, the system currently is working. At what point should we replace it with an electric technology, and what are the uh, advantages of doing that from uh, environmental perspective as well as uh, a comfort perspective in the in the house? Secondly, I'll mention as we look at uh, potentially our next next car. Uh, that would be uh, electric
0: technology uh, I think would be favored in that regard. great, Ali. how about yourself
1: um, I'm definitely using more electric scooters to get around <laughs> um, nice. actually, I fun fact I never owned a car, so I always used my bike or just walking or public transport. <laughs> So now adding to the suite of public transport, the electric scooter, which I personally like a lot. I think they're really good to have and very low carbon footprint transportation mode. Uh, in many cases, instead of taking taxi or Uber, I just take the electric scooter. Uh, uh, and sometimes electric bikes, uh, up to last year I was living in San Francisco, going up those hills was challenging. So I needed a little boost from electric bikes that are now available to rent. So that is great. Um, At home, uh, my stove is electric, so uh, I didn't change it. It was like that, so I like it. Uh, And I think if I ever buy a car, certainly it will be an electric car.
0: Great. Well, just be safe on those scooters, (laughs) but they are really fun to get around around. (laughs) (laughs) on. Yeah. Great. Uh, Well, definitely, uh, again, thank you both. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you.
1: My
0: pleasure, Sarah. Thank
1: you, Sarah. It was great.
0: Wonderful. And expect to see more on this topic. Uh, Not only is it an important area that warrants more attention and focus, but it is a space clearly ripe for innovation job creation, and entrepreneurial spirit that defines our country. Uh, I should mention that one of my colleagues at Energy Innovation, Jeff Frisman, uh, I reached out to him to be on the show today. He wasn't able to, um, but he has done a lot of work in industrial electrification. He recently authored a great article in Forbes that highlights the multiple economic and public health benefits that the U.S. could realize if we did jumpstart the industrial decarbonization movement. Uh, that link will be included Along with the other links we've mentioned on the show today, uh, both in the podcast description as well as at our website, energyinnovation.org. Forward slash electrify this. And uh, for our listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. Please continue to share this podcast with your friends and family and colleagues. Give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, it helps our rankings and searchability. And continue to tune in. Uh, electrify this is an energy innovation original podcast. And energy innovation is a nonpartisan climate policy think tank helping policymakers make informed energy policy choices and accelerate clean energy by supporting the policies that most effectively reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So with that, I think I will bid you adieu until next month. And I'm your host, Sarah Baldwin, and you're plugged in to electrify this.